Hey, good morning. Welcome. We're, we're glad you're here this morning worshiping with us. I am, uh, I, I have, this is a few years old now, but in a place called Hamilton, New Jersey, uh, they were investigating a kidnapping. Or rather, a theft. Somebody had stolen a baby Jesus from a manger in a nativity display in front of somebody else's house. And he was gone. And, uh, and it said, whoever did this must have really planned this out like a bank robbery. The, the homeowner, Candy Consco, said the Messiah nappers left a ransom note. They left a ransom note demanding $800. If you ever want to see baby Jesus again, $800. Which, the doll was bought from Sears. It was maybe worth about $69. But the police who were investigating said it kind of does seem like maybe a prank that the kids are playing, but they said the ransom note itself was kind of unsettling. This is what the note said. It was signed by me, him, and the other kid who was really scared and didn't want to take your baby Jesus, and the whole time he was saying stuff like, you're going to hell. (laughs) How many of you have a nativity scene at home? A nativity scene at home. How many have more than one nativity? Oh, you people. We had three at one point, and I was like, baby, we are not polytheists, okay? There's only one baby Jesus in there, right? Uh, what are the pieces to your nativity scene? Call them out. What do you got? I got wise men. Shepherds. Camels. I heard camels. Donkeys. Give me all the, give me all the, uh, what else have we missed? Hold on. Before we get to the animals, what else have we missed? Mary. Joseph, baby Jesus, finally, somebody, what other, does anybody else have a little like house thing that it goes in? Yeah, absolutely. And do you have a little manger? Absolutely. Now tell me the animals you have in yours. I heard camel. What else? What do you have? Donkey. What was that? A star, a star. Okay. Other animals, sheep. Cows. We had cows in ours. I don't know where the cows came from in the story. Did anybody have a goat? Do you know there is one goat in the Christmas story? The greatest of all time is Jesus Christ. He's the goat. There's only one goat. And so, uh, I, you know, we, I, we, I keep wanting a new nativity scene. Anybody else always jonesing for something new at Christmas time? Whenever I go to Costco in like August when they put the nativity scenes out... I always want to get a nativity scene, but our friends from uh, Tanzania, a few years ago, I was supposed to go to Tanzania, and I've heard you can get awesome nativity scenes in Tanzania, and so we have been waiting years to go and buy one in Tanzania. But I love our nativity scene there, and here's the thing about the nativity scene. Jesus Christ is undeniably the most influential person in all of history. That's not even really up for debate, to be honest with you. That's not an opinion. That's truth. No historian worth their salt would be able to look at human history and say there's no other single person that has influenced more people or more events than Jesus of Nazareth. And the question has always been, okay, this little baby at the center of our nativity scene, who is he? And, and Jesus himself asked that question to the disciples. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter's response was, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. At the center of Christmas, at the center of the nativity scene, when you're setting up your nativity scene, what do you put up first? Well, wow, all of you have a different way of doing it. You put Jesus first, right? 
And then you gather everybody around him. You put Mary and Joseph and then the shepherds in this corner. And then, and then the Magi are walking from this way. And then you put up the star or the, uh, the animals all around. Jesus is at the center of Christmas. And Jesus is at the center of everything I believe. He's at the center of everything I believe as a person. If you take Jesus out of the nativity scene, if you take Jesus out of my life, I don't have anything else. He is at the very center of my faith. And today, as we continue our series called Born for This, we're going to look at one of the Bible's most important passages on the identity and the importance of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that would like to minimize Jesus. Our world accepts Jesus as historically significant and maybe even important, but not essential. You can take him or leave him, like whatever you want with Jesus. He was a good teacher. I mean, he was a, he was a prophet, a, a spiritual man, but not necessarily God himself, and certainly not the only way to God. I, I, I watched a thing this week online where I heard a very famous personality say, I'm a Christian, but I'm a free-thinking Christian. I don't think Jesus is the only way to God. And my response is, you're not a Christian. You don't understand. And, and so I, I want you to understand this because our world lives, we live in what I call a whatever world. Do you know that word, whatever? It, it's, it's, I hate that word more than anything else. You ever have somebody answer you with whatever, particularly a teenager? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're having a debate, you're having an argument, and then your teenager's like, whatever. You ever had that happen to you? Don't you just want to boink them in the eyes when they do that? <laughs> whatever, I got your whatever. By the way, as a parent, if your teenager is reduced to saying whatever back to you, know that you won the argument right then. They got nothing else. They got nothing left for you. All they got is whatever. Um, and I, don't tell me whatever. Tell me you disagree. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm an idiot. Tell me anything. But don't just say whatever. But get this, this morning we're going to look at a passage in Colossians. And in Colossians, we can see that this church and these people who lived in Colossae lived in a whatever world. They just combined whatever religious teachings and came up with whatever. Just whatever. Whatever sounds good, whatever, uh, whatever doesn't offend somebody else, whatever, uh, whatever works for them. It, it's a whatever world. And, and whatever is not in the Bible, people. It's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is anything but whatever. And so I want you to see how our world thinks this way. In fact, I got this in an email once. Somebody sent this to me a few years ago, and it says this. There's only one God, the Lord of Abraham, the Ahura of Zoroaster, the Aishwar of Krishna, the Jehovah of Moses, the God of Jesus, the Allah of Muhammad is the same one alone, almighty God of us all. God is not old or new. God is God always and forever, creator of life and death. And who will remain when everything will be perished? Do you want to know what that graphic says? It says, whatever, whatever. I mean, it's okay. Whatever, whatever you think. Whatever you, whatever you call him, whatever doctrine, whatever holy book, whatever, whatever. It's all the same, just whatever. Paul is going to talk to this church filled with whatever people that he has never met that whatever is not an answer when it comes to Jesus. And it's not going to work. Jesus is the answer. The reason Jesus was born is to be Lord of all. So let's take a look this morning in Colossians chapter one. If you've got notes, grab them and follow along with us this morning. Love for you to be a part of this. 
Um, and the first point I want you to see this is Jesus was born to be Lord. He was born to be Lord. And Jesus is, first of all, the Lord over creation. He's the Lord over creation. Let's read from Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says this. Christ is the visible image of the what? The invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over what? He's supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Now get this, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. What? Everything was created how? And everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Jesus was there when the galaxies were formed. When the galaxies were formed, in fact, it says that God did that through him, through Jesus Christ. He was a part of the creation of everything. Everything seen or unseen, from Billions of stars, distant stars and galaxies, down to subatomic particles that we can't even see with the, with the naked eye. Your DNA knit together. He created everything. And he, everything was created through him and for him. Now, why is that important? The through him and for him. Let me tell you why that matters to you and I. Jesus is the answer to the two fundamental questions of life. There are two questions of life that everybody has to grapple with, and these are them. The first is this. Do I matter? Do I matter? Do you matter? Everything was created through him. Why do you have value? Do you have value? Why do you have value? Do you matter? In this great cosmos, with billions of stars, on this planet of approaching 8 billion people, do you matter? And the answer is yes, you matter. Because Jesus Christ himself, God himself created you. Knit you together in your mother's womb, it talks about in scripture. Your worth is not in the fact, your worth isn't in what you do, your worth isn't in in how you look or what you achieve. Your worth is in the fact that you were created by God, almighty God. If that isn't true, if, if you weren't created by him, If you were just a cosmic accident, then I got bad news for you. You actually don't matter. All you are is some organic material that is breathing in and out, and eventually you're going to stop breathing and you're going to decompose. Harsh, huh? Thanks for playing the home version of our game for 80 years. That's, that's all you are, if, if, if none of that is true. But you do matter because everything was created through him. You were created through him. And then the second question is this. Why am I here? Like, why do I exist? Why am I still breathing in and out this morning? And the answer to that is you you were created through him and for him. Our highest purpose, the reason that we're still breathing today is because you were made to be in a relationship with the almighty God. You were created in God's image to live for him. You were created to live with him and for him. And Jesus had you in mind all the way back at creation. In fact, you know, as we read the, the, the story of Christmas, many of you will read the Christmas story in just a few weeks here, and, and you'll read out of Luke or, or maybe out of Matthew, but, but honestly, the, the book of John starts this 
Christmas story a little different way. The rest of them begin in Bethlehem with a baby and shepherds and all the, you know, the things that are in your nativity set there. But in John, we see that you were, that Jesus was all the way back at creation. Listen to John chapter one. It says this. In the beginning was the what? The word. The word already existed. The word was what? With God and the word And the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything, how? Through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave what? Life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. That's what it says in John chapter one. This word, that's flowery language, right? What is the word? The word, the word is what? What is this word? John would go on to identify that word just a few verses later in John chapter one, verse 14, where it says this. So the word became what? Human, and he made his home among us. That's the nativity scene. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and what? His only son, his only son. The word that existed back there at creation, at the beginning of creation, was with God and was God. That word is Jesus Christ. He is the Lord, he is the Lord of creation. But check this out. Not only did he create, not only did he create this world that we live in, but he is still actively holding it together. If he lets go, we fall apart. That last verse in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says, he existed when? Before anything else, and he, what does he do? He holds all creation together. He holds it all together. Now, some of you may have seen this online somewhere. It's one of those things that you just can't get out of your mind. I, I watched a sermon by a guy by the name of Louis Giglio, and I was blown away by this. Louis was talking about this, uh, how inconceivably big God is. God is this unbelievably powerful, big God. He, he speaks the universe into being. It's like he, he opens his mouth and balls of fire come out that become stars. And he, billions of times that happens all across this galaxy of ours, right? And, and how God is this star-breathing, universe-creating God. But at the same time, this God is, is a God with knitting needles who is sitting down in a rocking chair and he's knitting together your double helix of your DNA, each and every one of us, so intricately made is each and every one of us. And he does it with such detail and wonder. And Louis went on to talk about how this God, this God who is inconceivably big and inconceivably powerful, he, we could trust this God because he created it all and he has the power to hold it all together when it feels like things are falling apart. Our loving creator is also our sustainer. And then he told the story of, and this is the part that gets you, about a molecular biologist that he met. After giving a talk, he met this molecular biologist and and he was having a conversation with him. And he said, this molecular biologist came up and said, Louis, Louis, you got to tell people about laminin. Laminin? What what is laminin? L-A-M-I-N-I-N. Laminin. Did I do too many I-Ns? Laminin. L-A-M-I-N-I-N. He says, go, Google it. Go home and Google it. He says, okay, what is laminin? This is how Wikipedia describes laminin. 
Laminins are a family of proteins that are an integral part of the structural scaffolding of basement membranes in almost every animal tissue. In every animal tissue, you have ma- laminins. Which, huh? What? And he, he, Laminins are literally the cell adhesion molecules. They literally hold cells together. That's what they do. They hold one cell of our body to the next cell of our body that keeps us all together in one. Without laminins, we would literally fall apart. And Louis like, okay, okay. And he goes, no, 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 no. You've got to go home and Google it. Go home and Google it. Google laminin. And when Louis went home, he got on his computer and this is what he saw. This is what he saw. This is what the structure of laminin looks like. If you go to any medical journal, this is not some Christian version of it. Go to the next slide. There, there, this, is the, this is the teaching outline for laminin. This is what it looks like. Look in any scientific or medical piece of literature and this is what you see. And then if you look under an electron mic- microscope, this is what you will see as laminin. That's laminin. Get this, the molecule, the cell adhesion molecule that holds your body together is in the shape of the cross. Is that crazy? It's unbelievable to me. That, that before time began, in the middle of creation, before there was electron microscopes, we, we were able to see the mark of God. Put, you, if you ask me, this is a faith thing for me, but I just think God was just having fun. He was like, watch this. They'll figure it out a couple thousand years. God, God put inside of each of us, inside of each of ourselves, a, a, a protein that basically is holding it all together and it's in the shape of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's still, Jesus created it all and he's still holding it all together in each and every one of us. He's not, get this, this passage talks about he's not just the Lord of creation. He's the Lord over everything. Jesus is the Lord over everything. We see in Colossians 1, the next verse says it this way. Colossians 1.18, Christ is also the head of the what? Church, which is his body. He is the beginning, the supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of all who rise from the dead. He was the first to rise from the dead on his own. And and he's basically going to be the first of all who will rise from the dead, the followers of Jesus Christ who will be risen and and taken to eternal glory. He is Lord over everything. You may think Glenn Barnes is in charge of this church. He is not. You may think, well, well, Steve, you've got some, I have no authority. You may think, well, we got elders and those elders. We, this isn't anybody's church except Jesus' church. Do you know that? Jesus built every brick. Jesus take cares, uh, takes care of every ministry. This is Jesus' church. It's nobody else's church. It's his church. I actually think Jesus is up there in heaven. And when we're trying to lead the church, he's just patting us on our head. Good, that's cute. Nice try. You know? It's his church. He owns it. He is the Lord over everything. He's in charge. And this is just one little church. Let me just tell you something. Gathered around the world today, the the big C church, the the church that contains every believer everywhere, it's all his church, all of it. Last week, Glenn gave us a a sermon out of Philippians chapter 2, and I want to re-highlight one of the passages here because it reminds us. Therefore, God elevated him, that's Jesus, to the place of highest honor 
and gave him, that's Jesus, the name above what? Above all other names. That at the name of who? Say it like you mean it. Who? Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that who? Jesus Christ Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is Lord over everything. One day every knee and every... Every knee will bow and every, every heart will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we also see in this passage that Jesus is Lord of reconciliation. This may be what you need to hear this holiday season. Jesus is the Lord of reconciliation. Colossians 1 continues, it says this, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. And by means of Christ's blood on the cross, this includes you who were once far away from God. Can I get an amen out of anybody that was once far away from God? You were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has what? He has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are now holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Reconciliation is kind of a big theological, spiritual word. I try to stay away from those words, but I couldn't come up with a better word. It's the right word. Reconciliation, uh, Unger's Bible Dictionary says it this way. It's the restoration of friendship and fellowship after estrangement. Many of you know what I'm talking about. In fact, many of you, Christmas may feel tense right now because you know you're going to see some people that maybe you have some problems with. Anybody ever have a relationship like this? Relationship that was once good, but it got messed up. And you're not speaking anymore. Or you have that weird, uncomfortable feeling. You ever have somebody that you were so close to, you felt like you were totally comfortable with, you could totally be yourself with them, and then and suddenly something happens and you're in a situation, you just feel awkward and you don't know how to interact with them. And you know you need to fix it. You know you need to fix it. Jesus is the author of fixing it. Jesus created reconciliation. When he took sinners like you and I and he brought us back into relationship with him. He is the author of reconciliation. He's the author of forgiveness. And I want to make sure that you lean into this this holiday season. Especially if you have a broken relationship with somebody. I... I read this book, uh, Philip Yancey, in a book called Rumors uh, of Another World, shares this unbelievable story. And it's a story of the atrocities that happened during apartheid in South Africa. And the reconciliation that followed in a courtroom many years later. See, there was this policeman named Vandebroek. And he recounted this incident where officers, he and some other officers, shot an 18-year-old boy and burned the body. And they literally turned the body over a fire pit like a piece of barbecue meat in order to destroy the evidence. 
Eight years later, Vanderbroek returned to the same house and seized the boy's father. And this wife was forced to watch as policemen bound her husband on a woodpile, poured gasoline over his body, and ignite it. And in this courtroom, many years later, the court grew hushed as an elderly woman who had first lost her son and then her husband was given a chance to respond to Mr. Vanderbroek. The judge asked her, what do you want from Mr. Vanderbroek? She said she wanted Vanderbroek to go to the place where they burned her husband's body and to gather up the dust so she could give him a decent burial. His head down, the policeman nodded in agreement. And then she added this further request. Mr. Vanderbroek, you took all of my family away from me and I still have a lot of love to give. She said to the judge, twice a month I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Vanderbroek to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like to embrace him so that he can know my forgiveness is real. They said spontaneously some of the people in the courtroom began to sing Amazing Grace. And as the elderly woman made her way to the witness stand, they found out that Mr. Vanderbroek didn't hear a word of it. He had fainted. Jesus is the author of that. He's the author of that kind of forgiveness and reconciliation. He invented that. He continues to hold together our world. He continues to author reconciliation. And he offers us that today. We don't deserve it. This reconciliation to God. We are sinners and we deserve punishment and separation from God. But because of Jesus and because of the cross and because of Jesus' spilt blood, we are offered reconciliation. In Romans chapter 8, it says this. So now there is what? There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This passage is one of the most important in Scripture in in giving the identity of Christ and, and the authority of Christ and the supremacy of Christ. And so that always leads me to? So what, Steve? What do we do with that? Um, there's only one actual question you can ask coming out of this passage. The question is, is, if he's the Lord of creation, he's the Lord of everything, he's the Lord of reconciliation, the question is, will you allow him to be the Lord of you? In, in Colossians 1.23, the last verse of this passage, it says this. But you must, co- what? Continue to believe this truth. And what? Stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. The question is, will you believe the truth of Jesus as Lord? Will you stand firm in it? Or will you drift away? I've heard preachers ask, and it's sort of a funny question, will you make Jesus Lord? Will you make Jesus Lord? And, And here's the funny thing about that statement. You can't make Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord whether you like it or not. Jesus is Lord. 
He's the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of everything. He's the Lord of reconciliation. Whether or not you acknowledge his lordship, whether or not you submit to his authority, he is still Lord. The question is, will you allow him to be Lord over you? Will you allow him to be your Lord? Will you willingly submit to his lordship? Will you allow him to be the Lord in your life? We all want a savior. Everybody wants a savior, right? We all want a little fire insurance, keep us out of hell. But lordship is a whole different thing where we actually give him control of our lives and we say, we're gonna make you Lord and as a result, I'm gonna follow you. Because you cannot take a whatever stance with Jesus. You cannot say whatever to Jesus. You can't say, well, okay, I guess, why not? That isn't how it works. You have to make him Lord. Jesus doesn't leave us the option of whatever. He's either Lord or he isn't Lord. John 14, 6 says this, and he leaves us no option, but Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And who? No No one can come to the Father except through me. Get this, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all in your life. And you've got to make that decision. I wanted to finish with a story that my pastor growing up in, in a little church in, uh, in, up in Sacramento, I came to Christmas Eve service every year back to Sacramento from where I grew up in San Jose. And every year he told the same story over and over again. And, and I love this story and it just screams to me, Christmas. It's a story about a nativity play that was going on at, at a school. And Wally was nine years old that year. He was in the second grade, though he probably should have been in the fourth grade by age. And most people knew he had difficulty keeping up. And he was big and clumsy and slow in both movement and in mind. Still, most of the kids liked Wally. He was well-liked by the other kids in his class, all of whom were much smaller than he. Although the boys had trouble hiding their irritation when Wally would ask to play ball with them or play any game, for that matter, in which winning was important because he was so much bigger. Most often, they'd find a way just to keep him out of the game, but Wally would hang around and not sulking, just, just hoping he could play. He was always a helpful boy, a willing and smiling one. He was the natural protector, and paradoxically, he was also the underdog. Sometimes if the older boys were chasing some of the younger ones, it would always be Wally who would say, can't they stay there? No bother. Wally fancied the idea of being a shepherd with a flute in the Christmas pageant that year. But the play's director, Miss Lombard, assigned him to a more important role. After all, she realized, she reasoned, the innkeeper did not have too many lines and Wally's size would make him, his refusal of lodging, more forceful. And so the large crowd gathered in the town for the yearly extravaganza of shepherd's crooks and fake beards and crowns and halos and a whole stage full of squeaky voices. No one on or off stage was more caught up in the magic of that night than Wallace Perling. They said later that he stood in the wings and watched the performance with such fascination that from time to time, Miss Lombard had to make sure he didn't wander onto stage before his cue. Then the time came when Joseph appeared and he was slowly, tenderly guiding Mary to the tour of the inn. 
Joseph knocked hard on the wooden door set in the painted backdrop, and Wally the innkeeper was there waiting. What do you want? demanded Wally, swinging the door open with a brusque gesture. We seek lodging. Seek it elsewhere. Wally looked straight ahead but spoke vigorously. The inn is filled. Joseph said, sir, we've asked everywhere in vain. We have traveled far and are very weary. There's no room in this inn for you. Wally looked properly stern. Joseph continued, please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, Mary. She is heavy with child and needs a place to rest. Surely you must have some small corner for her. She is so tired. And now for the first time, the innkeeper relaxed his stiff stance and he looked down at Mary. And with that, there was a long pause. The kind of pause that was long enough to make the audience a bit tense with embarrassment. Off the side, the prompter whispered from the wings, No, be gone. No, be gone, Wally repeated automatically. It says, Then Joseph placed his arm around Mary, and Mary laid her head upon her husband's shoulder, and the two of them started to walk away. But the innkeeper did not return inside his inn. Wally stood there in the doorway, watching the forlorn couple. His mouth was open. And his brow creased with concern, his eyes filling unmistakably with tears. And suddenly this Christmas pageant became different than all the others. Don't go, Joseph, Wally cried out. Bring Mary back. And Wallace Perling's face grew into a bright smile when he said, You can have my room. That's what lordship is. Lordship is you can have my room. Lordship is you can have my heart. You can have my life. You can have my time. You can have my resources. Jesus, you can have every part of me. And I know, I know, so many of us today are wandering through this holiday season with our agenda. I do it all the time, the things that I want to accomplish. And what I'm telling you today is that Jesus has to be Lord of all of it. Only you know what part of your life. You may be surrendered 98% of your life, but you know you're holding on to 2% that you haven't surrendered to God. Whatever it is, he's asking you today, will you make me Lord of all? You can trust me. I created everything. I'm the author of reconciliation. That broken relationship that you're holding on to, that you're like, you can be Lord of everything else, but you can't be Lord of this. He's saying, you can trust me with that. Will you make him Lord of all today? Would you just bow your heads wherever you're at? Father God, I know how hard we hold on to our lives. God, we show up and we start to think that we're in control, that this is, that this is our world and our destiny and our time. And God, I'm so reminded through this passage of that you were there at the beginning through all of creation. You have been there through all of history, Father. 2,000 years ago, you sat at the center of our nativity scene and nobody knew what it meant that night. But God, we see so clearly in Scripture that you are destined to be Lord of all, that you always have been Lord of all. Father, let us surrender. 
whatever it is in our life that we are holding on to. God, I pray that we would choose to put you first in everything. I'm thankful for being saved. God, help me to continue to surrender daily and make you Lord. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.